Happy episode 200! A Sriwijaya flight is flying a domestic Indonesian flight when it suddenly ends. What caused this flight to crash into the Java Sea? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. I'm Caitlin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, guess what? Guess what? This. What? Happy 200th episode. Yeah, that's this Woo! one. Oh, yeah. I, for, I already forgot. We literally talked about that an hour ago. I know. <laughs> it's a little more than an hour ago. Uh, I already forgot. Yep. Episode 200. 200. 200. 200. And we're not doing anything really special for that. No. <laughs> we got some really good cupcakes. Yes, we did have cupcakes. So. Thank you to Jamie Bakes for that. Check yes. our Instagram. Yes. Was it a story? It was a story. That's oh, okay. Oh, well, Jamie Bakes. It's spelled J-A-E-M-E. Thanks, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Best cupcakes ever. I bid $100 for a dozen of her cupcakes and I lost. I'm still bitter. It's been like 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's been legit. I Maybe even longer than that since I've had one of her cupcakes. It might have been 11 years since I've had one of her cupcakes. Damn. But they're so good. Best cupcakes ever. So good. She's also making our wedding cupcakes, and I'm so psyched for that. Yep. So if you need some good cupcakes, she ships. She does. So. And she does cookies. They're super cute. So and good. cake. This is an unpaid ad. We're getting paid in cupcakes, actually, so... We well we it's like we got like you want some free cupcakes you gotta give me some free promotions first <laughs> she just asked us to tag her in a picture or a story and we're going all out so thanks Jamie maybe she'll give you a discount on your wedding cupcakes oh. <gasps> Jamie no. she doesn't listen, <laughs> she to, doesn't listen to this <laughs> no. but delicious there's not much information to catch y'all up on because we recorded literally like a hour and a half ago yeah. Because we're a disaster, as per normal. So. Oh, wait. Is this the episode where we get to answer the trivia questions? No. Oh. No. I don't think, think so. so. I think no, that's more. next week. Yeah, it's one more. Okay, I tried. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, I'm back to school, guys, so please be patient. Yep. Because stuff's going to be late because I'm a disaster. It's all right. Children. My, I am, I am looking forward to you being back in school. I, I, know, I, I know, but I'm telling you that I'm going to want to pull my hair out by the end of the week. It's great. Now you know how I felt for the last three Oh, months. that's the deadline you're giving yourself? Uh, the end of the week. It may be tomorrow. Who knows? I was thinking like Tuesday. That's how I felt for the last three months. Oh, I'm ready. What? I'm ready for it to stop. I get them the other nine months of the year, Nick. Yes, but you only have like three months of sh- for the first three months of it, and then the rest of it's like okay, and then um, the end kind of sucks. Um, but no, yes. <laughs> no, you get you get into a constant state of busy, but the first three months of the mo- are the worst. Still, of it. just as sh- six months in as they are three months. Yes, but you don't have marching band anymore. Yeah, but I like the marching band. Right. I like some of those kids better than I like the kids I have to teach. But it still keeps you busier. <laughs> anyway. 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 That being said, check our social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Shameless also, plug. thank you for being Always. patient for stuff uh, potentially being late or whatever. So, what are we covering today, Nick? Today, we are covering Sriwijaya Flight oh, 182. Right. The Sriwijaya Flight. Thank you to Ellen. Alan! 
for recommending this episode. Where? Wait, which one? Is, is Sriwijaya a place? Uh, Sriwijaya is an airline based in Indonesia. Okay. This is Alan who likes to make Miranda mad. Oh, Alan 1.0. Got it. <laughs> yes. This one also happened since we started the podcast. Yes. This so, happened on January 9th, 2021. Yep. Middle of the pandemic. I don't like that. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> Try to make it cute. It's not cute. <laughs> and of course, since we started the podcast, which makes this, of course, interesting as well. Because I'm pretty sure we said the episode after this happened, like, hey, guys, we're getting the news about Sri Vijaya. Oh, yeah. Thank I'm sure you. we talked about it. And since I, I'm report, sure multiple people sent it to us. Yes. And since, of course, there's a report, we were able to do it. Been on our list for a little while, so we're going to do it. Yay. And I am going to confuse you when I do the story. And I really hope I do. I, I want to see okay. the confused look on your, look on your face. Okay. Because we'll, we'll talk about it. But yeah, it's going to make you mad. Of course, it's, Alan's the one who su- suggested it. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was bound to make you mad then. If that's any constellation. I feel Constellation? Like... Constellation, yes. Indication? Indication. You know what? I use right. that word in the same exact way that Miranda just did. Well, so. it's incorrect. <laughs> Bell <laughs> who, Christy? <laughs> God. Anyway. Let me have this. In her past life. <laughs> Let me have English this. <laughs> so, I feel like any time we talk about an accident that's happened since the podcast started, it generally is out to make Miranda mad because any more accidents that happen these days are purely because... Of stupidity? They don't do what's already in place to keep this from happening. That's pretty much how these things go, right? Not to foreshadow too much, but... This was a Boeing 737-500 with winglets. It's a really, actually, pretty rare aircraft type. We're going to make the same differentiation that many news sources did around the time this happened. This was not a MAX. Nope. This was not a Max. It did not have the same problems as the Max, even just, though initially it might seem a little suspicious. This just happened to crash around the same time that the other two Maxes crashed, one of them also being in Indonesia in a very similar place. In a similar way? Yes. What is the difference between a Max and not? Uh, Max are newer generation. So and they had 37s. problems. The Max is the newest generation. It's only been around for just a few years. And it had issues with the system... To keep it from stalling. It had a new system because the aircraft, hmm, they lacked modifying the airplane enough when they designed it because they wanted to keep the certification process simple. They didn't want to have to recertify a whole new airplane because the 737 was already certified. So they only changed bits and pieces of the new airplane, the Max. But they wanted it to be cooler and they, go faster and be more efficient. Right. They, they wanted a new, to, to summarize in, in brief. They wanted a new subsert because the 737 was already certified and has been since the 60s. Okay. There's so many different variants of the 737. All they wanted to do was new, a new subvariant, these newer, bigger, nicer, more modern versions of the 737, which is a little bit like beating a dead horse, to be honest. I Rather than just designing a new airplane. They are very nice. They're nice. Oh, Don't get we, me wrong. We flew one home, I, I think, as we said in a post episode not that mm-hmm, long ago. Mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. and Chrissy flew one home from Portland. It's very nice. Yeah, they're quite nice. The, the overhead bins are very spacious. Yes. Are those the ones that are big where they now make you stack your <gasps> luggage like a yeah. yeah. I was on that for yes, my you were. flight Come to down Texas. At you. Yes, you were. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you they're, look? They're nice. No, I didn't have to look because you called me while you were sitting in the boarding area. Oh, yeah. And they said, because this is a 737 Max and it is a newer version, please stow your overhead luggage sideways. Yes. Yeah. I heard that entire show. I flew it there and home. It was very nice. In summary... <laughs> Um, yes, except for the fact there's an entire documentary on Netflix that we talked about that you should definitely check out if you want to know more about what happened to the Max. You could also wait for episode episodes? two, episodes 230 and 231 coming to you in March. Because yes. we talk about the two crashes of the Max that made it so that they were grounded for right. a long time. Since we're not covering that See. today, I don't want to cover too much. But the gist is the engines had to be mounted higher because they are bigger, but they did not lift the airplane. So it didn't have taller landing gear in order for them to keep the same certification, just do a subtype. But by doing that, they had to design a whole new system. To make it not stall. To make it not stall. And that system had problems. So there were suspicions that this plane had the same issue, but this plane's not a max. This plane isn't even an NG. So no, it's an old right. Plane. So a quick summary: There's the original 737s, the okay. 737 100 and 200, which, which had cigar engines. It was built low to the ground so that mechanics could work on it at high level. Okay, it was an easy thing to do. Then we had the classic series 737s, which are the 300, 400, and this the 500. Okay, this series had newer engines. These newer engines were a little more efficient. They managed to make the 737 a little bit bigger, although the 500 was actually just as small as the 200. And in doing so, this allowed them to add, obviously, capacity, weight for cargo. It was a little more modern airplane. It had a little more modern cockpit. And then we got to the NG series, which is still very much in service today. It's the most widely used aircraft, apart from maybe now the Airbus is catching up very quickly. But all of the main carriers in the United States, American Delta United, as well as Southwest, Southwest and Alaska, carries 37s. Right. Southwest and Alaska, their main aircraft is the 737 NGs, which are the 700, 800, 900. These use the CFM 56 engine, which is the most widely used engine in the world because it was used on all of the baby buses for so long and all of the NG series. This these airplanes are highly reliable, very common airplane, the, the NG now we have the Max series, which is the next generation, the newest generation of this this aircraft. So you'll see right now, as of recording on August 6, 2023, that there are currently Max 8s and Max 9s. They are working on certifying the Max 7s and Max 10s. Right. So the Max 7 is dinky. The Max 10 is big. Right. I see. Be the biggest version of the 737 that ever existed. Oh, fancy. Very fancy. But this, the 500, is one of the smallest. Okay. However, it's also very old. For it to be operating in 2021 is actually kind of a feat of engineering because the aircraft was quite old at that period in time. The 500 series came about in the 80s. Okay. And this aircraft was more than likely built in the 80s or early 90s. It's old. It's old. It belonged to Continental for a while, which became Continental United eventually, and they they flew them under the United tag briefly while they were going through the transition, and then United scrapped all of the classics and went to the NGs. I see. This airplane was one of the ones that got scrapped from their fleet, got put in storage for a little while, Srivijaya picked it up. They... So, here's the thing that automatically triggers for me Uh with an airplane that's old. Mm -hmm. Maintenance. Yes. Because what happens especially in third world countries that get used airplanes like this, mm-hmm. DC-8s, DC-9s, DC-10s, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. 
they stop making parts for those airplanes. Oh. Not certified parts. They do what's called part robbing, where they take parts from old airplanes that they use as just salvage. They literally just bring them to their airport, wherever their base is, park them there, which it happens in the U.S. too, but not as common. They bring it to their maintenance base and then just park it there permanently to be used for parts. They yeah. take they keep taking parts out of the airplane, recertifying them, putting them on the new the, the airplanes that are in service. But it makes me feel a little sketch McGetch about some maintenance practices because when stuff comes due, needs to be replaced, and you don't have a part, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Hey, Randa, yeah. can you stop predicting the episode <laughs> before it happens? <laughs> That's not too much foreshadowing, actually. Not yet, because there's still a lot that happens. There's still a lot. I'm just telling you what triggers me, okay? I know. Can you shut up? (laughs) Well, you might know why you get triggered, but that's not the only reason. So, yeah, that is part of it. On top of that, pandemic. Pandemic. The airplane. We're not normalizing this term. No. I like it. I don't. Don't try to make it cute. It's not cute. It's like like the danger noodle. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> or what do they call it? No, but danger noodles are cute. They're called no, danger they're noodles because they're dangerous. They're snakes. Have you snakes ever... are <laughs> unless you get a sky danger noodle, in which case it's a tornado. <laughs> a sky danger noodle? Yes. I have never heard that. The sky danger noodles? Yes. That's what you need to follow on Facebook, Cody, who does the Denver and Front Range weather. Yeah. The danger, danger noodle. Danger noodles. He calls them sky. danger noodles. Yep. Oh, God, we got sidetracked. Sorry. Please continue. The pandemic. I am two lines into this thing. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot. Because of the pandemic, the airplane was also parked between March of 2020 and December of 2020. However, it did go through maintenance at the time. Not to foreshadow too much, but that was also a thing. It was stored for a part of that, as was pretty much every aircraft on Earth. Yeah, because they didn't get used. No. Literally every airline. If If you've flown... Since the beginning of the pandemic, your airplane that you have been on at one point in time was sitting in a desert or on a runway somewhere with a bunch of caps all over it. It they was call not it in use. Pickling. Pickled. Yep, it was pickled. Hey, Caitlin learns things. Yeah, see? Pick I have learned. I've learned a lot from you guys. <laughs> things have been learned. All right. Pickles. You gotta learn today. Yep. I'm gonna learn you some stuff. <laughs> I, did, I did learn. I learned the difference between uh, 737s. Yep. Now the hard part is recognizing them. Oh yeah, I still I can recognize a seven hundo. That's I can I can recognize a Max. They got the spiky thing on the back of the engine. Mm -hmm. That that's all I got. If I can see it, unless you're me, I don't expect you to be able to determine all the differences between the types. I know how to do that, but I wouldn't expect you guys to. If you see Nick is a nerd, yeah. Yeah. If you see a short dinky Southwest flying overhead, it's probably a seven thirty seven seven hundo. It's a hundo. Seven hundo. Yeah. A seven hundo. <laughs> it's a hundo, but it's a seven hundo. It's a seven hundo. Seven hundo. But soon they're gonna have the max seven, which is the same length. Oh. It'll still be a seven. Yes. It'll just be a, a max Which one of the two? And to be honest, when it's flying, I'm not gonna be able to tell the difference either. Most of the time I'm not gonna be able to tell. Anyway. Welcome to being a peasant, Nick. How does it feel? Damn. <laughs> I can tell when it's right in front of me, but that's not the problem. All right. This was a flight from. Really? (laughs) I'm telling I only got two in. The date and the airplane type. That's as far as we got. (laughs) Hey, you know what? For 200, we could just call it a long, happy party episode. Yes, that's what it is. I didn't even tell you the tail number. I guess I'd give you the the, the registration if you want. It's Papa Kilo Dash Charlie Lima Charlie. This is another one that has all um, letters. Letters, huh? Mm-hmm. Most countries do. P is Papa? Yes. Papa. Yeah. Oh, Papa. Look behind you. There's your NATO alphabet. I see. 
We don't have that up for a reason ever. <laughs> I don't need it, I but you don't need it much anymore either. But I needed it today. I couldn't remember Tango. Okay. Well, anyways. What he means to say is I always need it. <laughs> so, hey, I which didn't I, say that. Which is why I bought it. <laughs> I gave it to Nick as a Christmas gift, but really it's for me. Right. And there it is. Prominently displayed where you can see it. <laughs> Ta-da. Okay, please continue. Yeah, sorry. Continuing. <laughs> this right, was a sorry, flight. Sorry. This was a flight from Sukarno Hatta International Airport in Tangerang, Jakarta, Indonesia. So it's Jakarta. Like Jakarta, yeah. Yeah, this is from Jakarta. To Supadio International Airport in West Kalimantan, Indonesia. So not a very long flight, huh? No, it's this is a domestic flight. As a matter of fact, everybody on board is Indonesian. It was even more abruptly shortened, you might say. That's that bad. that really concerns me because Indonesia is not a big country. It's a country made up of like a two hundred different islands. They're all very very tiny, and it's in the Pacific Ocean. It's by Australia and. I only know this because I had to be in, in a Balinese gamelan, which we won't get into what that is, but it's mm-hmm. it's traditional Indonesian music. Yes. And the, the country is not very big. Um, I'm sorry, how many no. islands did you say that it I had? Said, I said 200. I might be wrong. <laughs> 2,000 maybe? More? A lot? Three? 18,000 islands? Woo! 18, Almost 20,000 islands. Excuse me. Yeah. It's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a little more than 200. Yeah. Most of them are very tiny. Yes. However, there's a few bigger islands, and obviously Jakarta is a Jakarta very, is very one. big city. Bali is one of them, too. In mm-hmm. your defense, not all of them are inhabited. Only 6,000 of them are inhabited. Right. Oh. Literally <laughs> less than half of them are inhabited. I but, how well, many are private islands. Well, that's yes. also because some of them are like a rock, and that's it. Like, uh, there's not much there. You can hardly count it as an island. This is my boulder. Right, oh, exactly. You know it's a nice boulder. <laughs> Within Indonesia, you can fly for up to an hour, hour and a half, uh, okay. and still be in Indonesia. What about this specific? This specific flight, I'm not sure. Okay. But it wasn't very long. It's an hour and 33 minutes. Yeah, so okay. there you go. So it's, it's an hour and a half. Not You're not going to go very far because it's all in one country. Right. But the islands are still relatively spread out. They have a lot of domestic flights because, of course, everybody living on islands means that there's only two ways to get to everybody. Yeah. Sailing. Or by air. Or flying. And they do a lot of air travel now. This route is most commonly flown by Lion Air. Yep. But also, the captain for this flight was F1. I don't have a last name. I don't know why I don't have a last name, but I don't have a last name. Okay. He had 54, or he was 54 years old. He had 17,904 hours total. That's a lot. Of which 9,023 were on the 737. That's a lot of hours for one aircraft type. That is. The first officer was Diego Mamahit. Quite an unfortunate last name. But it's probably a pretty common in Indonesian last name, though. Yes. He was 34 years old, so 20 years younger. He had 5,107 hours total, of which 4,957 were on the 737. So they're both fairly experienced. Yes. And that also means he only had 150 hours not on a 737. Which is not great. That's how a lot of these countries work, because they don't have small airplanes to say, go up and fly. They don't. So they, they send you somewhere, you get enough hours to get the license, the certificate in Indonesia, you come back, take a test, get certified to prove that you know this stuff, and then they put you in the right seat of something. <laughs> like a 737. At Jakarta, two pilots, four flight attendants, and 56 passengers boarded the flight. Of those 56 passengers, another six were deadheading crew. Mm. 
The captain was to be the pilot flying for this leg, while the first officer was to be the pilot monitoring. The flight departed Jakarta from runway 25 right at 2.36 p.m. local time. So, middle of the day flight. At 2.36 p.m. and 46 seconds, the first officer contacted the Terminal East controller. This is pretty normal as soon as, usually as soon as an airplane lifts off the ground and they're, they've got any amount of vertical speed because they are climbing very rapidly with airliners, you almost immediately go from the tower controller at the airport to a departure frequency or a center frequency, some other frequency. And that's what happened here. They immediately were transferred as soon as they were off the ground, basically, from the tower frequency to another controller. The air traffic controller responded, Sriwijaya 182 identified on departure via SID, which is standard instrument departure, unrestricted climb level 290. So that means they're climbing to 29,000 feet, fly level 290, and there's no restrictions. The first officer read back the instruction. 2.36 p.m. and 51 seconds, the autopilot was engaged and the aircraft passed 1,780 feet. 2.38 p.m., the aircraft passed through 5,400 feet at 220 knots when the autopilot mode was changed, and then again it was changed at 2.38 p.m. and 35 seconds, so about 30 seconds later. 2.38 p.m. and 41 seconds, the first officer asked the captain whether he intended to turn to heading 070 degrees, which was uh, where they were kind of heading. The first officer then asked the air traffic controller for a heading change to 075 degrees to avoid weather conditions ahead of them. The air traffic controller approved the request. At 2.39 p.m. and one second, the air traffic controller instructed the flight to stop climbing at 11,000 feet to avoid traffic that was departing from runway 25 left that was also heading to the same destination. Oh, pretty And the first officer acknowledged. Yes, this I would say this is quite the popular route. So basically, they were instructed to stop climbing at 11,000 feet to make way for the other traffic. Just... So there's no conflict. Because they had turned left after takeoff, they basically flew over the departure path of the other runway, the parallel runway, because they took off from 25 right. Another airplane took off from 25 left. They're now crossing in front of the departure of 25 left. So they were told to stop climbing 11,000 feet. And the first officer acknowledged this instruction. 2.39 p.m. and 36 seconds, the altitude alert sounded in the cockpit as they crossed 10,100 feet followed by the first officer calling out, approaching 11,000. So, in the cockpit, this is a single tone that sounds in the cockpit to alert them that they're 900 feet from reaching the altitude that they had selected on the autopilot. Okay. Basically just tells them that there's a series of things about to happen, the airplane's about to level out, all those things. And the first officer made a call out that they were approaching 11,000 feet. 2.39 p.m. and 48 seconds, the aircraft was climbing through 10,450 feet and on a heading of 046 degrees and decreasing. In other words, they were turning left, still. Catch anything weird yet? You're making a face. Yeah, I was hoping I'd get that face at least a couple of times while I go through this. <laughs> Would you like to verbally elaborate on your face? I don't understand why they're turning, they're still turning left. Right, they've like now well past 070 yeah. and 075 degrees, and they're still... <laughs> I don't understand why they made the switch to another heading to begin with, right? Because mm -hmm. you never said anything about the captain acknowledging the first officer, which makes me a little concerned. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. Also, the fact that they were supposed to... And they're not... St st stop. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Continuing. 
2.39 p.m. and 54 seconds, the aircraft was climbing through 10,500 feet when the first officer called out, set standard. Which, which means what? It means to set a standard barometric pressure for a B altimeter. That. Oh, okay. Got it. So there's a standard used worldwide, 2992. Yeah, 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 yeah. And above a certain altitude, everybody switches to the standard rather than whatever it is at the airport they're departing or arriving at so that everybody's altitude is calibrated exactly the same. And even though you might not be at actually like 10,500 feet above the ocean or mean sea level, you're at the same 10,500 feet that everybody else flying around you is. Right. Which is important when you get into instrument flight rules, distances, and spacing. They were climbing at 950 feet per minute about that time, and the aircraft continued turning to the left at a roll angle of about 7 degrees left wing down. 2.39 p.m. and 55 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the flight to climb to 13,000 feet, and the first officer acknowledged. This was also the last time that they would be heard from over the radio. I know. It happens fast now. That's not great. No. In case you were wondering, it, it was already happening. Yes. Well, I figured since they're still turning to the left, yeah. something is wrong. Yes. Something what? is wrong. I don't know. Something is wrong. But something more than, is wrong. More than one thing is wrong at this point. So there's not even time to say like, hey, uh-oh. No. Nope. No, there's not. We'll talk I mean, about that in a second. There would have been. We'll talk about that in a second. I see. 2.40 p.m. in one second, the captain called out 130, acknowledging the altitude change, flight level 130, 13,000 feet. He was acknowledging that. And the first officer replied with the same, 130. This means to one another that they agreed they heard 13,000 feet, and they're setting that on the autopilot. Do they not realize that they're still turning left? We'll get there. How do they not know? Uh-huh. Two seconds later, at the same time that the first officer rep responded with that 130, the Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System uh -oh. alerted bank angle. Huh. The aircraft... How? Were they really that spatially disoriented that they didn't realize they were turning like that? Well, the aircraft was now at 10,700 feet and was still turning left, but was now at an angle of 37 degrees to the left wing down. Once they passed 30, 35 degrees, that's usually where it alerts because that's a typical turn in an airplane is 30 degrees left wing. That's that's like the furthest you would ever go. Yeah, but is neither of them looking at their instruments? Like, even the littlest bit of turn would be put on their instruments. You're foreshadowing some things, but... Can you shut up? <laughs> in the kindest we'll way possible and most affectionately, hush! <laughs> This was also the peak altitude that the airplane would reach, was 10,700 Wait, feet. wait, 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 wait. Aren't they supposed to be at 13? They were heading for 13. They were supposed to be heading for 11 initially, and then also 13. But now they've stopped at 10,700 feet because the left wing is down. But here's what happens. Okay. okay. It, it happens very quick from here. Just trust me. Okay. All right. Very I'll stop quickly. talking. Very quickly. I'll shut up. It's fine. Thank you. Christy told me to shut up. I'll shut up. It was at this time, it was at this time that the captain activated the stabilizer trim switch, which disengaged the autopilot. The aircraft was on a heading of 016 degrees at this point. The aircraft suddenly rolled more to the left, past 45 degrees left wing down, which was accompanied by the EGBWS bank angle alert again. Bank angle. Bank, bank angle. angle. This was made worse when there was a left roll input made on the control column. Oh, I didn't talk about that part. I talk about it a lot more later on. Okay, good. Because it gets so much worse. What? I know. I See, I, I, yeah, I did such a good job. I have you confused, and that's exactly how I what? wanted it. 
2.40 p.m. in 10 seconds, the auto throttle disengaged, and the nose pitch was now 10 degrees nose down. So the airplane's now pointed down, but pretty heavily left bank. So they're going down and left. Yes. Like that. Yep. Okay. So the airplane had pretty quickly pitched over and rolled to the left, basically pretty heavy. We used to Does have a- roll mean turn? Yes, it's it's the literal ah. roll left and right. So you have so the quick orientation of how this how airplanes work. There's Can three. Can you grab a plane real quick? So there's three axes we use axes we use in orienting ourselves with airplanes. So you have okay. pitch, which is nose up and nose down, yeah. roll yeah. left and right, and, yaw. and then yaw, left. which is actually this movement, the same movement like you do you in a turn, turn in a car. car it's that's yaw. considered yaw. So that's controlled by the tail. Is controlled what controls yaw. Then out on the ends of the wings are the ailerons, which control the roll. And then the elevators back here control pitch. I see. You know, all of your stories that I have been in episodes I've been a part of are now mm-hmm. making a little more sense. Yes. So with the uh, plane, will you demonstrate the orientation of Flight 182? Yeah. So at this point, they are nose down and left wing I low. See. Way low. Okay. So they're pretty heavy, like heavily starting to spin downward. Okay. It gets worse. Great. It always gets worse. Around that time, the air traffic controller made a call to the flight requesting heading information. <laughs> where are you going? Like, yo, where are you going? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's your heading? What are where you are you doing? heading? But they received no response, as we already know. Uh-oh. Moments later, the air traffic controller made another request for heading information, but still no response. And around this time, the radar target from the aircraft was also lost. The aircraft disappeared from his radar. Never to be seen again. Probably because it, it went boomy. Crash boomy. 2.41 p.m. in nine seconds, the air traffic controller pinned the last known vector point for the aircraft before it disappeared from his radar. So he pinned that location saying this is where the aircraft disappeared. He was actually very close. We'll talk about this, but for some perspective, it was very close. The air traffic controller's supervisor reported the occurrence to the operation manager at that time. The air traffic controllers then repeatedly called for the flight over the radio, but received no response. They then asked other aircraft in the area to try to make contact, but there was no response. The air traffic controller then tried on the emergency frequency, which is a worldwide frequency, by the way. It's 121.5. 121.5. That is the emergency frequency around the world. But no response there either. It was around the time that the aircraft dropped from radar that the aircraft had reached a 90-degree left-wing low, before the nose also dropped suddenly straight down, and they were inverted. Uh. They were then inverted. So the aircraft went from basically this to eventually left wing low, and then all the way until the airplane was inverted with the nose pointed basically straight down. Yes. And it was not This gives me really bad vibes like Alaskan. Mm -hmm. Is it the Alaskan flight with the jack screw? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that happened to them. Yeah, it's very similar. Now, I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe 737s have a jack screw in the back. I think they do. Do they? I don't know. They not might, saying, but I think theirs work differently. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but mm-hmm. it's very shockingly similar to what happened to them. Right. Although they were able to, like, stably fly it upside down for a while. Yeah. And that, yeah. The Alaskan uh, flight, yeah. Stops. Spoiler alert. Flight control surfaces were not a factor. Okay. Anyways. I was just marking a very shockingly yes. similar experience. Yes. Just a little bit more to go here. We're almost done. 
slowly the crew, the flight crew, managed to bring the aircraft nearly back to wings level, but it was too late. The aircraft did not have room to recover from the dive at that point before impacting the water of the Java Sea in an overspeed condition just four minutes after they took off. So all this happened very quickly. Yeah. The aircraft actually crashed belly first. Really? They got it all the way back to belly, right? Yep. By the time, so they had been basically inverted, pointed down, and somehow they had managed to roll it out and get the wings almost back to level, but they were still in such an overspeed situation that it impacted hard on the belly and disintegrated immediately. Oh, this isn't like, because I'm kind of, you talked about like the left input while they were rolling to the left. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a rudder issue, right? No. I said that flight control surfaces were not an issue. I, I'm I'm eliminating every... I'm sure everyone else is like, is there a rudder problem? Because 737s have rudder problems. Yeah, they do, but this one didn't. And I know this is 2021, but this is an old aircraft. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't. So Right type of they, aircraft, but no, it didn't have that why problem. Why did they turn to the left then? We'll get into it. You did a very <laughs> good job obscuring this. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Search and rescue efforts were quick and extensive by many parties, including navies and search and rescue and coast guards, and there were so many parties involved. Because, of course, this was a very high-profile thing. The Maxes right. had just crashed. Another 737 just crashed in the same spot that Lion Air did, basically. They wanted to know everything right away. It was quickly apparent, however, from what was found floating on the surface and at the bottom of the sea, which, by the way, was only 49 to 75 feet deep, most of the area that the airplane had Oh, that's not sunk. very deep at all. No. That there were no survivors. All 62 on board had perished in the accident. The wreckage was recovered over the course of several days and weeks, in large part completing on the 21st of January. However, that was not the last of the wreckage. Hell no. I know, because I know what I know about the thing. So, the vast majority of the effort was called off on the 21st of January, which is just about three weeks after the accident. 11, no, 12 days? Yeah, so I guess it was about two weeks. But anyways, they recovered a lot of pieces of the aircraft. Not all of it, but a large part of it. Much of what was floating on the surface is what is usually floating on the surface, which is parts of the interior of the aircraft. People. People, or parts of people. Luggage. Luggage and belongings to people. Clothing, things like that. And everything else pretty much sunk, but they were able to get it because... It was not very deep. For, and it, it, what's pretty amazing about this is where the air traffic controller had put that pin, that pinpoint on his radar, mm-hmm. saying this was the last known location of the airplane. He was only 80 meters away from where the airplane actually ended up. Oh, that's incredible, actually. Yeah, it's remarkable. That is close. <laughs> it was only 80 meters from that point, which is actually pretty telling because for the aircraft to drop off its his radar... More than likely, that happened before the aircraft actually impacted the water. And usually when that happens, the aircraft travels a little bit of distance. Mm -hmm. But that means the airplane really truly fell pretty much straight down from where it disappeared from radar. That's what that tells us. I have a question. Yes. In theory, Mm -hmm. if you just drop out of the sky, Mm -hmm. how long does that take? Depends on how far up you are. (laughs) And how fast you're dropping. And what orientation you're dropping at. For some perspective, they were at 10,500, well, 10,700 feet when they dropped, and it only took them about 30 seconds. So, but you you know you're dying. 
Like you, you have time know, to figure that out. See. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're awake, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would the G forces be enough to make you pass out? Uh, probably not. There's right? a potential, but the time that that took, probably not, not probably enough for you to pass out. So most plane crashes, you know that you're you're going, and that's actually depends. Actually, that really depends. They actually do quite a bit of investigation into this, mm-hmm. not within this investigative sphere, but a lot of times it is used as part of the settlement. Is the considered suffering. Okay. When How much did they suffer during the- Inevitably sue the airline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they lose their loved ones. That's what they- They get compensated take. for their loved ones suffering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So How, much, does, is, how, how much, much is their assumed yeah. suffering during the How much the would they know- that they were going to die. Mm-hmm. And I think it would really suck to be the scientists and lawyers that have to figure that out. I yep. could not imagine Mm-mm. just like knowing that you're going though. Mm-mm. Like that is horrifying. There are times where you don't. I don't want to know. The if- whole thing with this though, you have th- so much like the submarine thing that happened recently. Yeah. I mean, in their instance, they wouldn't have known anything at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what, what hit them. No, literally didn't even know they died. Like there wasn't, there wasn't even a chance of that. In this instance, yes, things were very chaotic for a moment. Unless you were the one looking out the cockpit window, you probably didn't know what you were about to hit. And you would have hit and it was done. So there was a lot of panic, probably while they were falling, but on impact. There's no drowning. There's no burning. Nobody nobody knew anything. You hit so hard that from, you immediately die. You die from rapid deceleration. And that is a technical term that I hate. Mm-hmm. It literally just means that you got squashed. Yeah. That's it. Kaput. Yep. Sorry for the graphic everything, but yes, that is that is it. That is that is what happened. So ultimately, it, it was not one could say a painful death, but it was a very unpleasant experience up until and that point. You probably okay. people who were looking out the windows might have had might have, but it would have been a it would have happened really fast. I mean, okay. if you're looking out the left window, I mean, they eventually yeah. became in that right. Yeah. So you probably were like, "What the hell? Something yeah. is really wrong here." And unless you're us. Mm-hmm. Like, would you absolutely know you were going to die? Maybe. Okay. Good to know. I just sometimes, like, a lot of times when we talk about crashes, it's hard to know if, like, just from, like, a human perspective, if, yeah. you know, they know. We've actually talked about plenty of instances, though, where they wouldn't know. They probably never knew. I would like to not know. Like, um, mm-hmm. Air France 447? Air France 447 A lot of, of people were sleeping, mm-hmm. and they hit the water in the middle of the night. Swiss Air 111 was another instance of that where... Most of them probably never even knew. I mean, they knew something was up. There was smoke, but they never would have expected that to actually lead to them impacting the water. Nobody knew, but they did. German wings. Yep. That one was very unassuming. Some of them may have been a little confused why the captain was uh, pounding on the door, but no one... Trying to use a crash axe to get into the cockpit, but they wouldn't have known that they would crash into a mountain and die, Mm -mm. because the only person who really knew that was the first officer. Mm Mm-hmm. And the most unassuming ones are the decompressions. Yeah. So like Helios, Helios. everyone mm-hmm. was passed out because there was no oxygen. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, then, then you're just gonzo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You pass out, and if you don't get enough oxygen, right. you just die. Right. From... Nobody on board that airplane knew they hit the ground. What? What's? What's the word for dying of lack of oxygen? Asphyxiation. Hypoxia too. Well. You wouldn't die from the yeah, hypoxia asphyxi- is the state of mind when you are on yeah. oxygen, but I'm I, looking for asphyxiation. asphyxiation. Right. And I mean, that would be like one of the instances where that would be they the- wouldn't have suffered that much because they would have passed out and that's it. 
Right. Yeah. And that's how they found the airplane because the airplane was on autopilot mm-hmm. <laughs> flying in circles. Yep. <laughs> and the inside, they found, they figured it out because the inside of the windows was frosty mm-hmm. uh, and everyone was just dead. And one including of the, the pilot, like yeah. everyone, yep. everyone every, he, they weren't, I forget the specific reason why the pilot wasn't wearing or their oxygen wasn't working or something. Mm-hmm. It was so long ago. Go listen mm-hmm. to that episode. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it there actually, are instances where they would have no idea. It actually okay. happened to a, a private jet just uh, recently. Yeah, like a month and a half ago. It was very reminiscent Ooh. of the golfers. Yeah, yeah, Learjet. yeah. yeah. It, while there's no report on it yet, it got a lot of attention actually because the airplane was heading for Long Island. It had gotten out to Long Island, done a U-turn, and was headed back out over Virginia. Mm-hmm. It passed over DC <laughs> at a pretty low altitude, which is a no. Yeah, no you don't. So fighter jets were scrambled and they broke the sound barrier, broke people's windows and stuff. To oh, intercept I didn't know this, that. Yep, to, to intercept this airplane. And so, because it, it got a lot of attention when everybody heard a big boom over DC. Yeah. That's not something you want to hear in DC. It was because they were intercepting the airplane. They followed it for a distance and eventually it impacted a field. But they have to. I don't remember where it was. It was, they, for, it was like in Virginia or in Tennessee. I don't remember where it was. They had to follow it to make sure it didn't crash into a populated area. Otherwise it was shot it down. Mm-hmm. So and this had happened once before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, I don't remember the golfer's name. I don't either. But yeah, it's a famous golfer. The I don't think we've covered it either. But the Learjet. Yeah. But it that, was season 10, episode one of Air Disasters. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. one of those things where they didn't have put on your oxygen mask first. On the checklist. On the checklist. So the pilots oh. never put on their oxygen mask because they were trying to figure out this equation. Yeah. And they passed out. And then... And... That was that. The yeah. autopilot took it and eventually it ran out of fuel and it crashed. I actually just saw a like Instagram reel the other day mm-hmm. of yeah, two pilots being like, haha, that's so funny. And it was like when your pressure when your cabin depressurizes and it's these two people that they were mm-hmm. taking on vacation just mm-hmm. passed out in the back seat. Yeah. And so many people in the car yeah, yeah, were that- like, You should lose your pilot's license. Yeah, like, that, that picture's died. been floating around the internet for like I don't know, six, seven, eight years now. It's been around for a long time. Normally, when a cabin depressurizes, the oxygen masks come down. That's why you have the oxygen masks. Right. And the whole point is the flight crew's supposed to get down to a breathable altitude, 15,000? 10. 10,000 feet, which is where breathable oxygen is. And so it's... And they can do that pretty quick. Yeah. What usually happens in these instances is people end up like making these very dramatic stories i thought i was gonna die we were falling so fast and it was very scary and people were screaming because they have to get down to ten thousand feet in like literally just a couple of minutes yeah otherwise you have to do it within 15 minutes yeah 15 minutes because of the oxygen masks but they usually try to do it in seven because which when you're at 38 39,000 feet down to 10 is a very rapid descent in seven minutes well and if you think about it like the whole point is if for whatever reason the oxygen masks don't work or if someone isn't able to put on their oxygen mask, the whole point is by the time the oxygen runs out or whoever, you pass out and then you'd be able to breathe again, you come to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because your body will eventually make yourself wake up when it gets oxygen. The whole point is it's trying to conserve the oxygen you have Right. when you become hypoxic, which okay. is why you pass out. I right. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was yes. a really long. You know what? Like we said, <laughs> none of you, that is what happened here. Episode two hundred party because it's just, just going to be long and it'll be great. Yes, good recap of a lot of things we've covered though over it the is. years. Yeah, a lot. that is all I have. That okay. Is it.
This investigation was not performed by the NTSC. It was performed by the Comité Nacional Kessel Matan Transportazi, or KNKT, which is the NTSC. Yes, they but, still go by the NTSC, but it's technically... But they want that to more prominently now be the KNKT, which is in their native language. Fine. This is one of the most Indonesian things I've ever heard of. I'm not going to fight it. It's the KNKT. The aircraft's FDR was found three days later and was sent to the KNKT recorder facility with the assistance of the Transport Safety Investigation Bureau, or TSIB, of Singapore, as well as the NTSB of the United States. Yeah, because it was Mm -hmm. a United States airplane. I don't know why Singapore was involved. More than likely because they're very close by. They have a lot of resources. Okay. They successfully downloaded 370 parameters and 27 hours of flight data, which included the 18 flights, including the accident flight. So the 17 preceding flights and the accident flight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The CVR took a little longer to find because its underwater locator beacon wasn't working, was detached. What? It broke off of the CVR. So it makes it hard to find the thing if the thing saying, hey, I'm right here, is not attached to the thing. Not much can survive impacting water the way they did. That's how Just that be happy goes. that we had one. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the CVR wasn't found until March 30th. Right. Which is why I said, in large part, it was called off on January 21st because the party that was actually in charge of the search and rescue said, we are ending this now. But a few private parties and smaller groups were still searching. And what they were doing was they were actually using basically a seacomb. And it literally just drags along the bottom of the water the bottom of the, the, the ocean, the, the seafloor, and just collects anything that was down there. Including was, the CVR. And it found the CVR. Okay, but if it's in the ocean, would it not have traveled like a very far distance between January and March? No. It pretty much all sank straight to the bottom and just sat in the seafloor. Well, and it was very shallow, It was a right? very shallow water. The, the, I, I think you said like the deepest was what, 60 feet? 75. Like, 75, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, the airplane is... Not very deep. Yeah, the airplane itself. I like, mean, I feel like it might have been even poking up out of the water. Eh. No, it wasn't. Because it broke up too much for that to oh, happen. well. But, yeah, I mean, you didn't have to go very it, far down. It's not, okay. yeah, it's not like they're in the middle of the ocean ocean. I mean, they're between islands, right? So Yeah, okay. That and this is only right off the coast. I mean, my, they were only 11 miles from the airport. It was very close. Like, they could have practically watched the whole thing happen from the tower, but nobody was looking. Okay, okay. So... The CVR was transported also to the KNKT recorder facility, and they retrieved two hours of four channels of data, which included the flight prep all the way up until the end of the accident flight. Channels 1 and 2 recorded the first officer, and Channel 3 failed to record the captain. So his voice was recorded whenever it was loud enough to be picked up on the first officer's mic. Okay. Love that, hate that. Channel 4 is usually the cockpit area mic, but it had a prominent annoying tone at 400 hertz, which made everything else unintelligible. They actually have screen captures of the frequency spectrum and sound bites. Mm -hmm. And all you see is like a wall of sound on channel four. So I'm like, well, that's useless anyway. Yep. They actually went through a diagnosed on other aircraft what could cause that channel four to go out so that it doesn't happen again, which I think is interesting. They actually went into that. Good for them. It is important. So it doesn't drown out what's important. (laughs) Anyways, once they reviewed the flight data recorder, it became readily evident that there was a problem. It was actually one of the first things reported in the news, and I remember this being reported. For takeoff, the autothrottle was set to takeoff go-around mode, or TOGA, 
During climb, the autopilot directional control was switched from LNAV to heading select, and the vertical control was switched from vertical speed to MCP SPD, which means the speed's controlled with a little knob on the dash. Yeah, on the autopilot. This meant that less engine thrust was required, so the auto throttle reduced the throttles. Or rather, it tried to. The FDR recorded that the left thrust lever moved backward, and the left engine thrust definitely decreased, but the right engine remained at climb power. What? And they didn't notice this? Is that why they were going left? Were they not booking? That's exactly why they were going left. That's I'm why. Places. I'm getting places. So if there is more power on, say, the right side. Yeah, you're going to go left. Exactly. Because it dips. Right. Because it's pushing the right wing, but the left wing isn't pushing at all. So it's. But why didn't they notice it? (laughs) Can you stop jumping ahead? But but, but I'm confused because there's a thing in the cockpit showing it and also they're turning. To put the pieces together, too. And I didn't state this part for a reason, but when they were turning through... 046, a heading of 046, they were actually at wings level. They were yawing. They were still turning, but they were yawing. They were still at wings level at that point. They were actually, the airplane was actually putting a right input to counter it, which is why they were yawing. Because, yeah, I'll let you do it. But they were in heading mode on the autopilot. So let me keep going. Since the right thrust lever didn't move, they still had to slow down some more, so the left thrust lever continued to decrease even more to reach the required speed and rate of climb, so the power asymmetry continued to increase as that cycle continued to perpetuate. So there's, some, there's an issue with the auto throttle. Yes. Eventually, the aircraft began to roll to the left instead of the right as was commanded. Well, hate that. How did that happen, you might ask? Miranda hasn't asked. She jumped several steps ahead. I Yes, I already <laughs> asked that like five minutes ago. Investigators dug into maintenance records and found not one, not two. Are you ready? But 65 reports of problems <laughs> with the aircraft's auto throttle since 2013. You're lying. No. Wait, no, is auto throttle go or no go? Auto throttle is, well. Would it be? Because you don't 100% need it. You don't. Because you can do it yourself. Right. CRJs, as a, as a matter of fact, don't have auto throttles. Most CRJs don't have I mean, auto those throttles. are small airplanes, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But even then, like, I mean. But I don't under. Here's what I don't get, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, they're yawing. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, physically they don't. They didn't get it. Mm-hmm. But there, you would see the thrust levers next to you with one of them pulled back. When you're on autopilot, it still moves itself? Yes, yeah, it that's how it yeah, moves. How it moves. The autopilot moves that? itself. Mm-hmm. I'm with Miranda. How does no one visibly just look down and they're like, oh, yo, bro, that's not doing look what it's doing. We will talk about why in a moment. Well, look at that. Uh, we're turning left. And look at that. They didn't. And there's a reason why. Can you text your dad and see if the auto throttle is on the 737's MEL? See if he answers before the end of the episode. He's probably going to be up anyway because his his yeah, this is his body's awake his time. Schedule his schedule sucks. Sleep schedule is chaotic. It's so bad. Anyway, sixty-five reported instances of auto throttle problems on this aircraft since twenty thirteen. Why didn't they fix it? And you're so allowed to fly it. <laughs> See, that's what. <laughs> 
So needless to say, this comes up in the findings and the recommendations. So here's the thing: you don't need the auto throttle to fly the airplane. Yeah, the auto throttle is usually connected to the autopilot, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, and they are independent like a, systems. Yeah, there, it's like a whole thing. I remember I went over an episode that had to do with something like that too a while mm-hmm. ago. My problem is, why wasn't the auto throttle fixed? Because if it's been an issue since 2013, so and we're at two, 2021. Let's talk about the fixes. 48% of the time, this was fixed by cleaning the connectors. Which they did. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, they replaced the components. At one point, they replaced the entire right engine. They did. But the problem persisted, so it wasn't the engine. No, it was the system! Why did they replace the system? Actually, it's much simpler than that. Stop. It was also deemed after replacing them that it was not the autothrottle servo or the autothrottle computer. Nope. The maintenance log also had a record of 61 problems related to the difference between engine parameters in the left and right engines, as well as 32 occurrences of the autothrottle disengaging in flight. Which, okay, so let let me help you with your face because (laughs) I understand this. So basically what happens is when the plane's like, dude, I can't function this way, it will shut down the auto throttle system on its own and yeah. have the pilots fly with their with the throttles on their yeah. own. Because the plane recognizes, yo, mm-hmm. something's wrong. <laughs> this isn't right. I'm putting myself in a bad situation. It's the same thing with the autopilot. Like if okay. something weird happens, the autopilot shuts off. And yes, I do talk about it. And guess what? Well, this airplane had that system. My question is if you have that, like, do normal airplanes have that many reports of uh uh-ohs? No. Like, okay. Yeah. That's That's why I was was making my face. When we were talking about it being an old airplane, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. We'll talk about this in the second half more, but this is what's called a deferral. Yeah. And there are very strict systems for deferrals. Apologies if you can hear thunder in the background. There's a very fantastic light show occurring outside our window. I don't get to see any of it because it's behind me, but the window's open, so we get to hear it at least. This is what's called a deferral, and when you defer something, you're passing it down to the next one, and there's a certain requirement that has to be met before it can be deferred. When it gets deferred down the line... For the record... There's very strict guidance on how long it can be deferred. For the record, I did not read anything about deferrals. I do. Okay. I don't talk about it. Let's not jump There are 64 findings, remember? (sighs) I'm not doing 64 of them, but I'm doing a lot. Also, I'm here for those that don't speak airplane, so. Yes. Yes, that is currently your job because Miranda now fails at that She's getting way too good at speaking airplane. (laughs) I'm the new guinea pig. You speak more airplane than most people I know in the industry. You really do. I really, I can't even explain to you guys. You guys know more about airplanes than most people in the industry. Anyway, most of these 32 occurrences of autothrottle disengagement happened on descent. Upon landing, or getting ready for landing. The aircraft maintenance log, which is what that's abbreviated as, and I'm really bad at writing my notes. The aircraft maintenance log specifically recorded eight instances of a lack of thrust lever movement in the right engine. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Six of those were pilot reports, or PIREPs, of slow response of the right thrust lever to flight idle during descent, and two were PIREPs of the right thrust lever being hard to move. Miranda's making a face. Never heard you of that one be. before, have you? You should be. That's not great. It's a new one, right? Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Investigators thought that there might be friction or binding within the mechanical system itself, so maybe it's not even the auto throttle at all. Well, did maintenance look at that? Of course they didn't. The aircraft maintenance manual says that the thrust lever control system must be examined from the throttle control box in the cockpit down to the torque switch mechanism in the electronics and equipment bay. Was it examined? No. no. 
They didn't go that deep into it. Wait, what's a torque switch mechanism, you might ask? No one asked. Good question. <laughs> I know what it is. What's a torque switch mechanism? I know what it is, so I didn't ask. This is installed in line with the engine control cables and servo mechanism. Whenever high friction is experienced in the engine control cable, the torque switch will open to allow the pilot's input on the thrust lever. When they release the thrust lever, the friction will reduce and the torque switch will close and auto throttle will resume. So it pauses the auto throttle. Right. So as soon as the, the pilot puts hand and it feels that there's a, an opposite force, it releases it, releases the auto throttle cable and it, the it allows the move. pilot to move the, the this, the, the lever freely. Okay. And then as soon as sense. they let go of it, the auto throttle reengages. It grabs a hold of the cable and starts moving it on its own again. Based on the methodology of the recorded rectification attempts, the examination of removed components, and the recorded actions of the accident flight, investigators conclude that the autothrottle system command being unable to move the right thrust lever was the result of friction or binding within the mechanical system except the torque switch mechanism. So it wasn't the torque switch. It was literally the lever itself. Which sucks. The lever was getting hung up on something inside of where the lever housing is, and it just caused it to have a lot of friction, and then the cable would try to pull, the switch would release, because it thought the pilot was pulling on it, but it was just stuck. The lever was literally just stuck. And no one tried. The pilot probably could have grabbed a hold of it and pulled it back, but... Oh, this is the right... But we'll talk about it. Yeah, the right side. So it stayed at climb power, because the autothrottle couldn't move it, because it was bound. Yep, hate that. Anyway, they literally... So the left one rolled back and kept right, rolling right, back. Right, 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 right. Which wasn't supposed to happen. Okay, continue. You'll get to it. Continue. <laughs> I won't interrupt you anymore. Continue. Hand gestures. In 2000, there was an AD. An airworthiness directive. Thank you. Uh, for some reason, my brain just went kaput for a second there. <laughs> okay. What was that? An airworthiness. An airworthiness directive. This Which is means a- you cannot fly this plane until you do this thing. From the ICAO? From Boeing. From Boeing. Okay. Okay. There was an AD which was complied with that required the installation of a function to the autothrottle computer called a cruise thrust split monitor. No one's ever going to remember that. That is the CTSM. This had to be implemented because of a number of reports of the autothrottle moving the thrust lever slowly apart until eventually resulting in an uncommanded roll. The CTSM monitors engine thrust and airplane roll and would disengage the autothrottle prior to reaching a significant asymmetric thrust that would compromise safe flight. Based on the FDR parameter recordings and the CTSM coding, the CTSM should have disengaged the autothrottle at 7.39 and 40 seconds UTC. I did not convert that into local time, I apologize. But rather, it disengaged the autothrottle 30 seconds later. And the FDR did not record it as a manual disengagement of the autothrottle by the crew. It was the CTSM 30 seconds late. It then took the crew nine seconds to realize what had happened and to move the thrust levers manually. It actually makes a lot of sense. I got a response, by the way. What did he say? He actually sent me what the manual says. Oh, thank you. Very specifically. And it makes an incredible amount of sense the more I think about it. The gist of it is, as long as they don't need it for an approach, it can be marked inoperative. The auto throttle. Thanks, Al. So if it's needed for a cat one or above approach... Then you no need go. it. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, they can, they go. can go about it freely. Okay. Okay, so it's, it's like half on the MEL. Yeah. <laughs> basically, but basically, they could have done, gone without. If it was a nice day, they didn't need it. Okay. Well, 
Investigators figured that the CTSM did disengage the autothrottle, but it did so late. Examination and testing of the autothrottle computer that was previously installed did not reveal any discrepancies related to split thrust levers or CTSM logic, but the same non-activation of the CTSM occurred on two different autothrottle computers that were installed on the accident aircraft previously. So the computer was deemed to not be the cause of the CTSM not activating as expected, because it happened on multiple computers. Right. Now, in the interest of minimizing how many of you stop listening from excessive technical jargon, I will summarize what maybe might have happened. (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) One of the driving logics for the activation of the CTSM system to disengage the autothrottle was the position of the flight spoilers, or rather what the system recorded as the position of the flight spoilers to be. If the flight spoiler position input is 2.5 degrees or more for 1.5 seconds or more, the autothrottle will be disengaged. Unfortunately, guess what value was not recorded among the 370 parameters on the FDR? That one. That one. But if the value was being under-recorded, the result would be, indeed, a delayed CTSM response and subsequent delayed autothrottle disengagement. Quote, Therefore, the investigation believes it is possible that the right flight spoiler position signal value read by the autothrottle computer was less than 2.5 degrees and resulted in the delay of the autothrottle disengagement while the autopilot was engaged, end quote. This was further supported by the fact that the flight spoiler sensor rigging had never been performed by Sriwijaya, even though it had never presented a reason to do so, but no one ever checked it to make sure it was correct. They didn't have a reason to, so I mean, that's not faulty maintenance, but uh, we don't know if it was right. I lost, people. I know I don't. No, it's okay. Okay, so what if the system had an autothrottle error and then it was delayed in disengaging the faulty system? There are humans in the cockpit. And here you go. Shouldn't they have recognized the issue and been able to land safely? Or at least just pull it back to wings level. Well, interestingly enough, the quick access recorder recorded seven instances of thrust lever splits prior to the accident, and those pilots, under which it had occurred, were interviewed and stated that they did not realize the split had occurred until other indications on the instrument panel caught their attention. All but one was interviewed. Not to foreshadow, but in the most serious of those events was the same captain. Out of the seven previous events, the same captain experienced it when it was at its most serious prior as well. Flight simulations were performed both in Jakarta as well as in Vegas. Yep. Because, what you know, Vegas. And the pilots in these instances also did not realize a split in thrust levers until they noticed the difference in engine parameters on the instrument panel. How big are these levers? They're big. Like, I'm thinking, like... like here, like a you movie, want to pull like, up a, like, like no, that's what it is. Okay, they're full hand levers. I mean, yeah, oh. hold on, hold on, and hold it's on. like directly next to you. Seven thirty. Yep, it's right in the middle. It's right in between, the between them. Pilots. And yep. this is a five hundred. This is a five hundred. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, they know the auto throttle is on. They know that the auto throttle is moving the thrust levers. Yeah. I let's not jump ahead. I have a whole thing on it in like a couple paragraphs. Okay. Oh, this is kind of fuzzy, but these are the levers. Yes, I know, I know what lever you're referencing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. they're supposed to be moving. They expect them to be moving. That, that's foreshadowing for a couple paragraphs from now. Anyway, so they didn't notice the thrust levers, but at least they noticed the instrument panels and the simulations. Why didn't the accident crew? Well, they were flying through 10,000 feet at this time. Do you know what the flight crew 
has to do during the passing through 10,000 feet. You've actually probably um, experienced part of this being a, a passenger on an airliner before. I have, I have demonstrations. So when you're passing through 10,000 feet, you and the cabin are actually notified of that. You hear this twice. You know what's so funny? I was literally about to ask... Hold on. Sorry. I was going to ask you guys what that ding meant after my last flight. So if you hear that twice... Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You that hear means that. you passed through 10,000 feet. You passed 10,000 up and you passed 10,000 down. That makes sense because every time I fly, I'm like, what is that? Because the first time I flew... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that I remember I was alone right. And I thought we were crashing when I heard that So and if I you, lost it If you only hear it once The cabin crew in the front and back are signaling each other Or the cockpit crew is like someone pick up the phone Right they have their own okay. interphone system That allows them to talk to one another Without having to run between parts of the airplane And it that'll only ding once There's other things that'll make it ding once too Somebody hits the call button okay. There's a series of things But you'll see actually in most galleys There's a set of lights above the above them yeah. in the galley and it lights up different things to tell them what and they know what it means i'm not sure it was loud enough to be heard on the mics but just to reiterate that's the sound right that twice ten thousand across ten thousand whether you're going up or going down that's good to know so the cockpit crew has to make it do that okay so that's one of their responsibilities at ten thousand feet but they have a whole list of responsibilities to do at ten thousand feet in addition to the ding-dong. The flight crew also has to turn off landing lights and any other lights that are unnecessary at that point. They have to set the standard barometric pressure for the altimeter, which you heard him say. Yes. And this is also when they were approaching their assigned altitude of 11,000 feet. So in addition to their normal 10,000-foot responsibilities, they are approaching their assigned altitude. These tasks may have distracted the crew from monitoring their flight path. During the 17 seconds between the call-outs of approaching 11,000, and set standard, the roll angle decreased through wings level and to the left 7 degrees. This should have been sufficient time to revert to monitoring the flight path, but investigators, because of the state of the CVR, could not determine exactly what was happening during those 17 seconds in the cockpit and what the crew was paying attention to. But 10,000 is a transition point. It's considered another critical time of flight. There's a lot of things that happen at 10,000 feet, whether you're going up or down. Landing lights are turned off. You got to set standard pressure for them. However, actually, most in the U.S., you set standard pressure usually at eighteen thousand and above. That can change depending on the country, regulations, things Waddle. like that. But, anyways, all these things happen at the same time. And at ten thousand feet, it's a transition altitude. It's what we call a transition altitude. There's a series of transition altitudes, and those are each a critical point of flight because there's a lot of things that have to happen at once. Okay. It can distract the crew, presumably because they had just passed ten thousand feet. The crew was very distracted and wasn't paying attention to, I don't know, the most critical thing, which is the airplane flying. So, quote, the pilot might have considered that monitoring the flight path was not so significant as the aircraft was in automation with the autopilot and the autothrottle engaged, and aircraft automation system was reliable, end quote. When passing through 10,000 feet, the control wheels were deflected to the right, which may have caused the pilots to assume that they were turning to the right, but they continued to be turned to the right, the wheels, continued to be turned to the right, long after they should have returned to neutral, having reached their heading. This could have led the pilots to assume that the aircraft was performing the right turn as commanded. This phenomenon is known as confirmation bias. When a person seeks information that confirms one's beliefs and disregards information that does not confirm one's beliefs. So they assumed that they were turning to the right. The control wheel was turned to the right. 
they did not pay attention to the thrust levers because everything says, oh, I'm turning to the right. The complacency coupled with the confirmation bias led to a decrease in pilot active monitoring. Mm-hmm. So, one question that came about, this is, a, this is considered an upset. And an upset is a rather broad yes, term, but it was considered an upset even at this point of flight when they were passing through 10,000 feet. This is actually pretty textbook upset. Upset is whenever the plane's doing something you don't expect it to do. All of a sudden, it's at an attitude that it is either, one, not designed to do, or that, two, you have not told it to do. So it is turning to the left when they commanded it to not do that. I can see why it's called an upset, because it would make you upset. upset. So the airplane is now in an attitude that it's not intended to be in. Okay. So... What about their horizon tracker? Like, I know it, I know it, I don't, I mean, you haven't really covered, like... You mean the thing right in front of them that literally shows them the artificial horizon? Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I don't know, like, if they're, the weather or anything like that... Weather was clear. Like, what, I feel like, I don't understand why they're not paying attention to t- and it's kind simple of, indications. They were overly relying on the automation. They were relying on the autopilot and the autothrottle to get them through. They were not doing active monitoring. I will say something that happens a lot in this part of the world that we're talking about. They're now facing out to sea. The horizon is water and sky, but we're talking about a humid climate midday where it also tends to be very hazy, and you don't see much outside. It's pretty much white. That's fair. So going back to the whole upset thing, there is a specific training process regarding upsets. So you may ask, did the crew have upset recovery training? This is a very specific, very detailed, actually, training program in most parts of the world. So listen to my words carefully. Did they have upset recovery training? Yes. Yes. Upset prevention and recovery training, or UPRT, consists of training and heightened awareness of potential threats from events, conditions, or situations, Effective avoidance at early indication of a potential upset-causing condition, and effective and timely recovery from an upset to restore the airplane to safe flight parameters. Which they could have done. Let me keep going. Most of Piloting 101 is learning upset recovery training, by the way. That's how it works. But when you get but into airliners... all of it. But when you get into airliners, it's a very much more detailed thing. The Indonesia Civil Aviation Safety Regulation Part 121 requires pilots to be trained in upset recovery training from 2017 as part of aircraft flight training. But it doesn't describe in detail what that meant, and it did not include part of that UPRT. UPRT is upset prevention and recovery training. Yep. They were only required to have recovery training. The regulation did not include prevention training, as is... I don't know, the standard. And by the way, that acronym is used as saying upright. Oh, that makes sense. Which is, you know, it's an acronym to say you're upright, making sure that the airplane is... Not upset? Right. (laughs) And I I don't know if you've already covered this, and I haven't been paying attention, or if you're going to cover this later, and you'll I only have like a paragraph and a half left. When did they realize? About the time they were inverted. Really? Um, That long? So the CTSM, is that the, is that the, mm-hmm. yeah, the CTSM was 30 seconds late in disengaging the auto throttle and it did do so. And nine seconds after it was disengaged, the pilots realized what was happening. Right. But why didn't, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little confused and you might not know the answer, right? Like I understand that, but they had time to recover. 
right? Kind of, not really. By the time they realized they were quite literally in a situation that the airplane could not physically get out of. And a big part of recovery training, upset recovery training, is realizing you're in an upset to begin with. Right. You start to realize that the airplane is nearly in an upset situation. It is not quite there. It's not in a dire situation, but it is not doing normal things. So to recognize you're in an upset situation, you need to be trained in upset recovery training. Sri Vijaya provided upset recovery training, which consisted of simulator training to perform an upset recovery during the pilot proficiency check every 24 months. But there was no detailed training program nor guidelines to conduct the upset recovery training. There were no instructions. They were just told, do this training in a simulator. What? And only do it every two years. Quote, the lack of detail of the upset recovery training program indicates the implementation of the upset recovery training inadequate in ensuring that pilots have enough knowledge to perform effective and timely recovery of an upset condition. This condition was supported by the fact that on the accident flight, the EADI, Mm -hmm. the electronic attitude direction indicator, aka the artificial horizon, as primary reference was not adequately monitored, resulting in incorrect input for recovery. The absence of the guidance of the national standard for upright might have made the Srivijaya air was unable to have adequate implementation this, of the upright, end quote. This report has lots of... I copy and pasted that, things. don't Yeah, Yeah, they have lots of bad grammar. So basically, within the circumstance, the artificial horizon was not correctly used as a primary reference to determine that they were an upset. And then, you might have noticed in the story, and I haven't talked about it till now, they turned left. Yep. They... When they were already very turned to the left. I, I still don't 100% understand that. They misread the artificial horizon. Right. They read it backwards because the controls were tilted all the way to the right. So their bias thought the airplane was turning right. They saw a tilt on the artificial horizon and the controls were turned all the way right. They didn't associate that the controls were all the way right because the airplane was trying to correct itself back to the right. It was actually tilted to the left. So he put left input thinking he was correcting what was wrong and instead he was exacerbating it. Which would have not happened had they actually had proper detailed upset prevention and recovery training. That is all I have. So, I'll touch on this since we're talking about this as your last point. They actually did an observation of the upset recovery training, as Srivijaya has it. I don't know, this is giving me vibes of like when people put their Tesla on autopilot and like mm -hmm. text or like watch movies and do their makeup and then they're like, I don't understand how I rear-ended someone. Where it's like, mm -hmm. even when your car's in autopilot, you still have to pay attention to what you're doing. Here we go. This is Finding 45, which I wasn't going to read anyways. I'm just going to read this verbatim, which by the way has bad grammar, so just bear with it. During an observation of the Srivijaya Air upset recovery training after the accident, this additional task impeded the PM, the pilot monitoring, from communicating the aircraft state, including altitude, airspeed, attitude, or other deviations during the recovery, or assisting the pilot flying an upset recovery process to the pilot flying the captain, such as verifying all required actions have been accomplished. In the upset recovery exercises observed, it was noted that due to this additional non-pertinent task, the pilot monitoring the aircraft entered an overspeed situation, in which subsequently entered, developed into an accelerated stall. So 
even when they went to observe, to, to summarize this really quick, because I didn't read the findings before, what happened was they were stating that what was in their upset recovery training required the pilot monitoring to do a certain number of things, but not what's normally included in upset recovery training. And because of that, literally the one that they observed got worse because of the processes that Sri Wijaya was training for their upset recovery. The situation that they were in, the pilot flying, actually made the situation worse because the pilot monitoring wasn't able to do their job properly in an upset recovery. So the training was so deficient that when they observed it, they watched the situation get worse. The training was just that poor. So above all else, this really comes down to a training problem. Well, first of all, it was a maintenance problem. Yes, it was a maintenance problem. They didn't fix... But that maintenance problem shouldn't have caused a crash. No, given. But the maintenance problem started the issue... The lack of the bad training was the right. thing that eventually killed them. Right. But it wouldn't have happened if the auto throttle was working correctly. Right. So, that all you got? That's all I got. All right, let's end this half. Good Hard God. to say that, but yeah. And we're back. We back. All right. Strap in. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a long ride, people. It's going to be a long, poorly grammatical ride. <laughs> Probably full of questions. Yes, and that is fine. I'm, I'm not doing, again, I'm not doing all 64. As a matter of fact, I don't even think I'm doing the majority of them, but I'm still doing what feels like a lot. Then there's a lot of other things after that. Because there's no probable cause, but there is contributory factors, which is a whole page. <laughs> and then there's a safety actions section, and then... A safety recommendation section. It's a lot. Episode 200. Woo! Woo! It's Big a party. One. It's a party. It's a long episode. Long episode for you today. All right. They found that since 2013, the AML, it's the maintenance aircraft manual. Aircraft maintenance log. Yeah, aircraft maintenance log. Recorded 65 pilot reports relating to the auto throttle, including 32 pilot reports of auto throttle disengagement. In addition to the 65 autothrottle pilot reports, the AML also recorded 61 pilot reports relating to differences in engine parameters, which 53 out of the 61 reports occurred during descent. The AML also recorded 69 pilot reports related to the problem of the autopilot. That is an insane number of pilot this reports aircraft. on one airplane for these issues. This aircraft had problems. Yes, it did. It had issues. Issues. And a tissue was not going to fix the issue. No. no, it wasn't. They found that the AML record showed that 48% the auto throttle system maintenance actions taken involved cleaning of the electrical connectors. Additional maintenance actions taken involved the replacement of the suspected faulty components of the auto throttle system. The investigation conducted examination of the previously installed components and did not find any abnormality of the component examined. So things that they had actually switched out, they checked the old parts, there was nothing wrong with them. No, because that wasn't the issue! Nope! Never was. Even the connectors weren't the problem. Nope! They found that the AML recorded replacement of engine, the right engine, that is. However, the auto throttle problems still occurred. This showed that the problem was not related to the engine. Duh! Why didn't they just look at the system? The whole thing. Yeah. Which is literally what it tells them to do. In the manual. And by the way, while the airplane was grounded for literally three quarters of a year. They could have done that. They could have done that. They did a lot of maintenance on the airplane and they could have taken the time to actually do like a full inspection, broken down the whole system and looked at the whole thing and figured out what, what the 
was wrong with it. That only would have been, I don't know. Smart. Smart. Then it never would have had that problem again, at least probably not for a very long time. But it turns out they didn't do that. I found that since the 24th of March 2020 until the 19th of December 2020, Sriwijaya Air grounded this tail number for several maintenance performances. Since the aircraft was released to service until the accident flight, the AML recorded 43 pilot reports, including three pilot reports of auto throttle problem. Among the pilot's reports, six were entered as DMI, of which two were related to the auto throttle problem. Do you realize that that is only three weeks? Oh my god. In three weeks, the airplane had amassed 49 pilot reports, including a bunch for the auto throttle. And DMI is deferred maintenance item. Yeah. So but it's not ch- abnormal. Don't check the full system. Don't right. do that. Right. Yeah, who, why would you there do that? There is nothing wrong with pilots reporting when something is wrong with an airplane. And it should be done. Even if there's a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. 49 is a lot. Especially don't, don't. because there's a lot of them. But don't. But Okay. That sounds like a lot, but I should also say that it is pretty normal for most aircraft to be flying around with a lot of pilot, you know, reports of issues on aircraft. However, they're usually fixed pretty quickly. So they should be. Right. If they're deferred, they're deferred for a very short period of time. And there are items that are allowed to be deferred. Right. Usually when you defer something, there's a certain number of flight cycles or hours that have to be, then it has to be addressed, depending on what the issue is. Did the thing your dad sent you happen to say that? I I didn't read that closely, but no, I don't think so. But the whole thing with that is, I'm sure it was on a different page or something. Usually it's within a number of flight cycles or days, and it has to happen pretty quickly for most things. Like with an auto throttle issue, usually they'll probably fix it within 48 hours. So you might be able to defer it, but probably by the time it goes and sits somewhere overnight, the night crew is going to go in there and fix it. End of story. Which is what Al does for a living. It is. They found that the quick access recorder data recorded seven asymmetric thrust lever events between 2020 and 2021. There was no pilot report of these occurrences in the AML. Oh, so they went back in the QAR. Yes. Found these seven instances yep. and found that no one had reported them. Right. Most of the pilots stated that they did not recall the occurrences is the last sentence. Of oh, that. good God. That means they probably didn't even notice. Like the accident crew. Which is stupid. Here it is. Here's the big one. Ready? Oh, God. They found that one of the asymmetry thrust lever events occurred on the 15th of March, 2020, which resulted in the aircraft rolled to the left up to 41 degrees. Yikes. The Bank auto- angle. The auto throttle disengaged when the calculated flight spoiler deflection was 10.8 degrees. It was most likely that the auto throttle disengaged by the activation of the CTSM. The accident flight captain was the captain on this flight. The same captain experienced this in March of 2020. Except this time he lost his life. Right. And many others. Yeah. Yes. And it doesn't state died. It doesn't state when in the flight. It doesn't state... But it was pretty much exactly the same event. To a T. And somehow he managed to recover that one. But he did not recover the accident flight. All right. Skipping a bunch. They found that the change in the autopilot mode required less engine thrust... And the FDR data recorded when the left thrust lever and the N1 speed of the left engine started continuously reducing, while the right thrust lever and N1 speed of the right engine remained fixed until the aircraft entered an upset condition. They found that the investigation assumed that the auto throttle system command was unable to move the right thrust lever as a result of friction or binding within the mechanical system, except 
the torque switch mechanism. They found that since the right engine thrust lever position did not move backwards, the left engine thrust lever decreased more than normal to compensate the engine thrust required in capturing the selected speed and rate of climb, and the thrust levers became asymmetric, even though they wrote asymmetry. You know, good grammar, bad grammar. Mm-hmm. All that to say, basically what we know, but it because the right engine wasn't reducing at all, the left engine just kept reducing more and more and more and more to compensate, yep. and it kept turning the controls more and more and more and more right to compensate. So they thought they were turning right. Even though they weren't. They found that at 739.40 UTC, which is 2.39 p.m. and 40 seconds, the aircraft climbed past an altitude of about 10,250 feet and was turning to the right at a roll angle of 15 degrees, with the control wheels deflected to the right about 19 degrees, the left aileron deflection down 3.3 degrees, and the right aileron deflected up 5.8 degrees. It was at this point the CTSM should have taken effect. Right. The calculated spoiler deflection was 3.7 degrees. These conditions met the requirement for the CTSM activation to disengage the auto throttle. However, it was delayed. Should the CTSM activated timely, the further thrust asymmetry could be prevented. Well, that's a big assumption. But yes, it might have bettered their situation by about 30 seconds. And it may have meant that they wouldn't have ended up in such a big bank. If it had disconnected at that point... They might have had a better chance. Saved them 30 seconds. Figuring out what was going on before the airplane was basically inverted. Yeah, but didn't it, didn't they roll it after it turned off? Yeah, they rolled it to the left more, but they still would have had more time to correct that because they wouldn't have been as far left yet. (laughs) Yeah. It's an if. Yeah. It's a big if. We found that there were several indications available that the pilots could have checked to identify the aircraft anomalies, such as the engine parameters, the thrust lever positions and the roll angle displayed on the EADI. The FCOM stated that the pilots must always monitor aircraft course, vertical path, and speed. That's duh. That is flying 101. Fly the aircraft. All the basics. Attitude, speed, altitude. Look at those things. They found that the aircraft's wings level and began turning to the left is considered a deviation from its intended heading and was an indication of an aircraft upset condition. There was no pilot action taken in response to this aircraft upset condition. The absence of pilot action suggested that the, that both the pilot flying and the pilot monitoring were not adequately performing their duties in monitoring the aircraft in a proper flight path. CRM broke down completely. Oh, really? Yeah! What? Crazy. Crazy. They found that Sriwijaya Air provided upset recovery training to its pilots, which consisted of simulator training to perform an upset recovery maneuver every 24 calendar months during pilot proficiency checks. Which is garbage. It is. However, there was no detailed training program nor guidelines to conduct the upset recovery training. What's an upset recovery training? I don't know. We're just going to make the airplane do weird things, and then you got to figure out how to get it upright. Yeah, that's pretty much all they tried to do, and it didn't go well. They found that the lack of detail of the upset recovery training program by Surujaya Air indicates the implementation of the upset recovery training inadequate in ensuring that pilots have enough knowledge to prevent and recover an upset condition effectively and timely. They found that an absence of the guidance of the national standard for the upright, or UPRT, might have made the Sriwijaya error was unable to have an adequate implementations of the upright UPRT, the training. So they, they just literally didn't have enough backup. There was no guidelines by Indonesia on how properly to do an upright, an upright program or an mm-hmm. upset recovery, prevention and recovery. They found that the reported auto throttle problem was repeatedly deferred, as DMI, 
from the 20th of December 2020 to the 4th of January 2021. The DMI was first raised on the 20th of December 2020 and was rectified and closed on the 30th of December 2020. But the defect was reported again on the 3rd and 4th of January 2020, and the DMI raised again, which indicated that the autothrottle problem was not properly rectified. No. Something they also monitor these days, by the way. Not only do they, like, monitor how long something has been deferred, but if it's a recurring problem that's also flagged, that forces them to have to change tactic and do more investigation on parts and such, but they obviously weren't doing that. (laughs) Obviously. They were deferring way longer than normal and then closing it out when they absolutely had to, and then it would come up again almost immediately, and it turns out they pretty much weren't doing anything. They were probably cleaning contacts and putting things right back where they belong. And then they just... Instead of just checking the damn system? Right, going through the whole thing and figuring out what's actually causing the problem. Checking the whole thing, making sure that it's actually fixed, and... Yeah, no, they're not doing any of that. They found that the monitoring efforts by MCC, the maintenance control, did not appear to have raised awareness amongst the line maintenance engineers of the recurring autothrottle defect and the additional troubleshooting steps in the interactive test function in the FMC CDU menu. So this is the menu in the airplane that literally can run a test for them. They weren't really doing that, and line maintenance wasn't doing much, nor were they, the maintenance control for the airline was not notifying line maintenance, hey, this issue has already popped up multiple times before. Each time that it would happen, they would just say, hey, you need to check the auto throttle system on this airplane, there's a problem with it. Rather than saying, hey, you need to check... There's been a problem. Right, you need to check the auto throttle system on this airplane... There's a problem with it, and there's been a reported problem with it before we tried to fix, and it didn't work. And there's been a reported problem 64 times before. Right. And it didn't work. Hmm. Interesting. Found that it is evident that the recurring defect monitoring efforts under the maintenance management program has not been implemented effectively given the prolonged unsolved autothrottle defect on the aircraft. No. Yeah. And that's all the findings I'm going to do. Oh, there sweet were Jesus. still a lot of them that I didn't do, but... They got a little bit redundant or unnecessary. I will let you do this okay, big page. Okay, so there's not a probable cause. There are contributing factors. The KNKT concluded the contributing factors as follows. The corrective maintenance processes of the autothrottle problem were unable to identify the friction or binding within the mechanical system of the thrust lever and resulted in the prolonged and unresolved of the autothrottle problem. English. Good grammar. The right thrust lever did not reduce when required by the autopilot to obtain selected rate of climb and aircraft speed due to the friction or binding within the mechanical system. As a result, the left thrust lever compensated by moving further backward, which resulted in thrust asymmetry. The delayed CTSM activation to disengage the autothrottle system during the thrust asymmetry event due to the undervalued spoiler angle position input resulted in greater power asymmetry. The automation complacency and confirmation bias might have led to a decrease in active monitoring, which resulted in the thrust lever asymmetry and deviation of the flight path were not being monitored. English. Mm-hmm. The aircraft rolled to the left instead of to the right as intended, while the control wheel deflected to the right and adequate monitoring of the EADI might have created assumption that the aircraft was rolling excessively to the right, which resulted in an action that was contrary in restoring the aircraft to safe flight parameters. And finally, the absence of the guidance of the national standard for the upright may have contributed to the training program not being adequately implemented to ensure that pilots have enough knowledge to prevent and recover of an upset condition effectively and timely. 
Grammar. Again, grammar. But all of that... Everything we've talked about for the last two hours. Yes, all of that is very true. I mean, it was a mechanical problem that was fed and worsened by a really bad training program, which caused confirmation bias and bad piloting. So... And CRM breakdown. As is often the case, I'm not going to say always, but as is often the case, there are layers. And the layers fed into each other. If one of these things hadn't happened, maybe the entire thing wouldn't have happened. Right. So... Let's go through some of the things that changed. They actually have a safety action section, and it's pretty extensive, actually. But I'm going to go through what has actually changed and what's important here. There's a number of things, and and this is going to be a little bit more of a summary because this was a, a sizable, really, truly sizable section. But there's a number of things that they changed pretty much right away, which is good, don't get me wrong. They they absolutely have to, especially because they were under so much pressure from everything that happened and the way that Indonesia was suffering from multiple sizable airline accidents in just a couple of years. Namely, to that end, Sriwijaya overhauled their maintenance practices. They did implement new programs for deferred maintenance as well as monitoring of that. The Indonesian government also stepped in and created new systems to have oversight of that, as they should. They made sure that they emphasized to the pilots to fill in the maintenance logs anytime that there was a noted defect. Anytime oh, you mean do something. your job? Right. In note, when these things actually happen, of course, the biggest change that we all wanted to see is also something they did. They reviewed the existing upright recovery training and initiated the implementation of the upset prevention recovery training program on the 11th of February, 2021. Good, good. So that was like right away. The UPRT for all pilots started on the 18th of November, 2021 in cooperation with a consultant. The upright program involved the DGCA, their oversight. They're basically their FAA. Uh, they reviewed their crew resource management. Huzzah! Program, once again, as Indonesia seems to have a very recurring problem with. Oh, you you actually want me to work with the person that's sitting next to me? Right. So they took this event and literally made it a training point in CRM? Yes. Yep. Good. They trained on it and made people practice on this event, this exact event. Um, Which, by the way, slight tangent, a flight attendant trainer yes. has previously reached out to us and said that she uses our podcast... For her case studies and as part of her training for her students. Which is pretty cool. If you're a student listening, what's up? Hey! <laughs> I'm a student too. Give us a shout. Not for this though. No. For aviation. Not for aviation. I'm an accountant. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. an actual accountant. Yeah, I was just yes. a real not accountant. Not a spicy accountant. Not a spicy not accountant. A spicy. I am a also, real accountant. I am also not a spicy accountant. I'm a legit yeah. accountant. Like I said, the government, the DGCA, actually put in a lot of oversight as well as several other departments of the government in Indonesia put in a lot of oversight, and they actually went through and audited the maintenance practices and programs at Srivijaya. As they should! Yes! As they should be doing regularly, and found where there were deficiencies and helped them to develop new programs. Needless to say, that was a heavily needed thing. A little thing. Uh, late? Yes. Just a little bit. Tad. Smidge. Smidgen. They revised the way that they look at flight data, so they actually pull flight data regularly. You mean how it's designed to actually be done? Yes. That's and why a quick access recorder exists? Right. 
And they were actually using this data to find things that were regularly recurring. Also, did they ever, like, figure out what the hell was up with, like, the solid block of noise coming from... Yes. Yes, they did. What was did it? Did they fix that? Yes, they fixed it. What was it? Uh, I, I didn't even read the, that finding because Sorry. it was so technical. The oh. jargon was so technical, it wasn't even worth it. Let me see if I can into. de-jargon it. Which, which finding is it? Hold on, I'm going to have to find it now. <laughs> oh, yeah, they totally found it. The investigation was unable to determine the reason why Channel 4 recorded a prominent noise with a frequency yeah, of Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they studied it, and they were like, Eah! They studied it, and they went, I don't know, it's just old. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, um, tangential, relevant, but tangential, um, this is why we test these things. It is actually part of maintenance that they test the CVR, and if it is found to have an error such as that, it... The CVR is 100% on the minimum equipment list. It oh, is yeah. 100% on the MEL. You cannot fly without Absolutely. a CVR. Absolutely. If it is required for the aircraft in question. Yep. Or if it is equipped on the aircraft in question, sorry. Yep. Absolutely. Which for it should be on all commercial aviation yes. vehicles, except for maybe the of ones, a certain size. Yeah. Yes. Little itty bitties, they're not going to be. Yeah. 121 operated PC 12s are not going to have them. No, they usually have they quick could. access. They actually usually have quick access recorders and actually have better data points than most airliners do, though. So that's kind of a nice thing. But it is not required to be uh, crash. No. Resistant. No. No, it's not. Though they usually survive. We actually proved that in one of the accidents we talked about. It was proven in this one. The QAR survived. Yep. They went through a whole engineering training program and implemented and improved it so that they could actually work on these issues at deeper levels and understand them better most airlines is what a lot of people don't understand it's not just maintenance that they do they're not just following a manual they actually usually have internal engineers that work directly with engineers at the manufacturers to help determine when something is required not required how what, serious something is how what something suitable is designed. fixes are right what suitable fixes are exactly one of the instructors i had at the university i went to cu denver mm-hmm the guy actually was going to do a project with my my last semester until COVID hit. He worked for an aviation maintenance shop and directly worked with the FAA to determine, okay, yes, this repair is technically outside the guidelines of the maintenance manual. However, I think I can fix it. Here's what I propose to do. Do you approve it? Right. Yep. So sometimes, even if something is deemed irreparable... It can be repaired. Right. But you have to consult engineers to do it. Otherwise, I don't know, stuff happens. Right. This is why airlines actually hire engineers now. It actually saves them a lot of time, money, and the worst of incidents like these. They implemented a new maintenance software and management program that would allow them to have oversight, better oversight of these things that actually tracks in. This is how actually every airline on the planet operates, especially the really big ones. They have these really intricate, sophisticated softwares so that, you know, you're not relying on flipping back through records all the time. And, you know, a whole there's there's teams of people that actually work behind the scenes that are literally like desk job people for these major airlines that sit there and coordinate maintenance. They're literally called maintenance coordinators. Oh, I could do that. Yes. Their whole job is literally figuring out when, how, where, why, and what needs to be replaced. And, you know, they they, they literally communicate to just each one of the, the line maintenance or the maintenance facilities saying, you're going to do this job at this time with this aircraft because it's going to be on the ground from this time to this time. Here's the logs you need. Here's everything you need to figure it out. These systems, these softwares help them keep records 
and notify them when there's a deferral coming up, when there's a recurring problem, when all these different things happen. And these are very detailed programs that happen. And Srivijaya didn't have a very detailed one, obviously, because it wasn't working. So they implemented that. That was a big change. Needless to say, like, this accident really did change some very key things and made what was a maybe not-so-great airline into what I would definitely call a safer airline. That doesn't mean it's just perfect. just people have to die for them to do that. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't mean that things are perfect, believe me. Srivijaya is still not a perfect airline either, but I can definitively say that there are safer things about this airline now than what it used to be and about what other airlines probably still have implemented. So it's still a better airline because they had to go under pressure for it, but they went through a lot. There was a quite a few series of other things that I'm not going to get into. I can't do that job. Why? The qualifications are higher. I need an A&P certificate. Oh, go get an A&P certificate then. You go get an A&P certificate. Not with my job. I'm doing other things. I'm doing other things. Well then, what do you want from me? You're the one that's closer probably to getting an AMP, actually, with your engineering degree. It doesn't count for It's more related to it than anything I do. I still have to go through an entire AMP program. Mm-hmm. And I also need five years of experience. That's dumb. And a bachelor's degree. You have you that. You have a bachelor's degree. In aviation management. No, you don't. You have an engineering degree. You're fine. Oh, just kidding. It also sends engineering. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it doesn't matter. You have that requirement. You have a master's. You'd be ahead of the game. Hey, United. <clears throat> Anyways. Anyway, hello. Hello. All sorts of things they overhauled. They overhauled their CRM. They overhauled everything, basically. They also overhauled <laughs> investigating auto throttle problems. They looked at <laughs> they, they looked at how to, to, to actually look at auto throttle situations on these aircraft, especially these older 737s, and actually investigate them rather than just do they clean some connectors and stuff. Yes, they do. Who? Srivijaya. These old airplanes? Yeah. They do? Yeah. This was only two years ago, y'all. Uh, oh, yeah. I keep forgetting that. Really? <laughs> this accident was only two years ago. Yeah, yeah, we had that discussion, but it just... The... 2021 seems like it was a long it time. It feels ago. like it was a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So the average age of their aircraft right now is 17 years. That is only offset because they have a lot of newer planes, like the 737-800s they have. They also have some 900s, I think, which are older, actually. But They have one 500 that is currently flying. Mm-hmm. Not this one. <laughs> no. They have two 800s that are currently flying. Yep. And they have three 800s that are parked. So what that means is they own six aircraft. Yeah. They're a small company. Don't get me wrong. Three of them are parked. Right. They're not doing very well, probably, either. Competition is very high in Indonesia, though. There's a lot of little companies well, and airlines. Lion Air and... Garuda. Garuda... And there's a bunch of there's a bunch. Garuda's of other their ones. flag carrier, isn't it? Mm. Garuda is the major airline for Indonesia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Garuda Indonesia. Speaking is of the a plane. Plane. Yeah. Yes. Garuda Indonesia is the flag carrier. Yes. There are so many little carriers though in Indonesia, and Sriwijaya is just one of them. Yeah. It's like how we have Sun Country. Yeah, and Allegiant. And Allegiant. And now we have Avello. And Breeze, and JSX. Denver Air Connections. Denver Air Connection, Contour. In case we were wondering, that was a Gulfstream. Cool. That's why it made so much noise. I'm like, it was just really loud. Gulfstream 600. 600! Since Hundo is the theme of the evening. It is. 
Boeing did a few things after this accident. They overhauled their upset prevention recovery program for the 737s. They put out a bulletin basically saying these are the kinds of things you should look for in cases of an incident like this, very specifically. They also looked at the wiring and everything related to the... CTSM? CTSM on these airplanes and put out bulletins for that. Yes, they also fixed it and put out an AD. An airworthiness directive. Yep. Hey, do this or you can't fly. Right. That also came associated with a bunch of other EDs and, and service bulletins associated with flaps and ailerons and spoilers. They also put out a revised maintenance plan document for the 737, 300, 400, and 500, revising how often some of these things should be checked and how thorough. These are the classics, right? Yes, these are the classics. There were a whopping three recommendations. Wow. Things that didn't end up getting fully covered, basically. A lot of that had to do with changing the verbiage within their CRM at Srivijaya because they had really non-standard callouts and callout procedures, which I didn't really make super clear, but that was not... A lot of the stuff that they said was not really normal in the cockpit for their callouts. There's also... They... they overhauled how upset recovery training they they recommended that their upset recovery training also require some certain CRM changes as well that they should be using certain callouts and procedures to make it better for the pilot monitoring position better than it already is they recommended even further analysis on the flight data analysis program so that's watching over the flight data how the airplane is performing and Overhauling that a little bit more. I'm summarizing these because they're pretty long to read otherwise, and they are really bad English. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm going to do the last one here. Oh, yeah, I can talk about this one. They reported that it was a very vastly, there was a really big gap between who was reporting issues. Mm -hmm. They found that ground personnel, maintenance staff, ramp staff were reporting issues as soon as they would see it on airplanes. But pilots were way more unlikely to write up something, just forget about it. Wow. That's not what I expected, actually. Right. And they actually watched this. They actually observed this for a little while. And that's why they put out recommendations that they should train and make sure that on hazards, basically they said, which is more like safety reporting and having an SMS, that they should be making sure that they are all reporting pretty evenly and fixing the issues right away. Which they should be. Right. I currently have the list of Boeing 737 operators, which is broken down by type. Type. It is a long list. Yes. Well, Do you have totals at least? 37. No. It doesn't um, have totals at the bottom? The Indonesian Air Force still flies the classics. Yeah. Jaya Wijaya. Yeah. See, there's another has one. Has one on order. <laughs> well, it's not to order. They put it under the order category, but that means they've got it like ready to lease like they're they're going to lease one or it says on order anyway or buy one from some Um, other company there are still quite a few out there i'm trying to skip down to the u.s section but unfortunately in the alphabet united states is fairly low on the list mind you they also don't make the ngs anymore like that's weird not only do they not make the classics they don't even make the ngs anymore Any, any any ng you fly on now like they're they're now they're not old. Some of them are still only a few years old, but I just fly on Southwest. Yeah. 
Aloha Air Cargo still flies them. Yep. Which we actually knew. Yep. They put one in the water. Uh huh. <laughs> Quite spectacularly. Yeah. So the pilots survived and got away. <laughs> FedEx, Express. Anyway. Uh, probably on some other part of the planet. I know it says it's in the U.S. Air Belgium. Or yeah. See. ASL Airlines Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. They fly them in Belgium. Yep. Um. They're four hundreds. I Aero. Yep. They do. I see them at Denver all the time. Actually. They fly 300s. They have nine of them. They have 2400s. Mm-hmm. Janet, they also, I see those every once in a while. Janet Airlines. <laughs> you know what Janet is, right? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about Janet. We don't talk about Janet. We don't talk about Bruno. Janet is the airline that flies people from Las Vegas and from... To Area 51. Ontario to, like, oh, Area 51 yeah. and uh, Groom Lake and all that. They fly them to... They Kalita. fly them into Area 51. Right. People who work there. Yep. Kalita. Mm-hmm. Mesa. Mm-hmm. Northern Air Cargo. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are cargo operated now. Sierra Pacific. The vast majority of these are cargo operated we're talking about. iAero actually is just a charter airline, mostly for military use. Trans Executive. That's probably charter. The U.S. Air Force. Yes. Hate that. Mostly cargo. And that's it. That's all the U.S. anything that still flies the classics. Yep. They're old. They're old. They're old. You can look this up on wikipedia.org slash wiki slash list underscore of underscore Boeing underscore 737 underscore operators. Some of these have gotten newer technology in them where they have like newer, like the glass cockpit, the screens and stuff, but not much. The NGs are still more advanced. Don't they use, isn't the reason that, well, I know like they have to keep Air Force One analog, so it can't be. Mm -hmm. Do they do that to some military airplanes too? Most of them. So they keep steam gauges. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of technology in a lot of those. But, I mean, you talk about anything that's really critical. We're talking about the Air Force Command aircraft. They are specifically analog. So So they are anti-hackable. They're anti-hackable. And more importantly, actually, should we get a... EMF. Yes, an EMF, like the the, massive sun flare or something. They're actually not susceptible to as many issues. They can still fly. But more of the realistic expectation is they are not hackable. Which really you don't want, like, I don't know, Air Force One to be hacked. No. Sounds like a bad day. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I know Air Force One has to be analog. Yep. Probably Marine One, too. Yeah, all of the... Things that... Transport aircraft. Anything that transports anybody involved with government is... Not hackable. Not hackable. They're analog. are they going to have the new... Uh Uh-huh. The 7478. Yeah, is it is that going to be the new one? Yes, uh-huh. Boeing regrets that decision entirely, by the way. Do they? Yeah. Uh-huh. They've gotten like a billion dollars over budget, Should which has put them in a hole, and they are kicking themselves because it was... Is there a reason they can't do like a... Triple seven? A lot of other governments use the triple seven, but why would we? Because we're the US. Okay, but also... Why use a 747? Agreed. Okay. I will agree that we should we can keep the 747 on the condition that we scrap whatever bullshit livery Trump wanted. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people like that livery. It's not against Trump. It's not not against Trump. But that livery looks disgusting. Jackie Kennedy had it right. I mean, that's I like hers better. Hers it's pretty bland. On, I mean, it's from the yeah. 60s. <laughs> but there is talks that it might not be painted that way either. It's classy mm-hmm. it could be more modern I agree. yes but it, it, the colors age well yes i don't know what's gonna happen yet isn't they're still it, building isn't it isn't it like tan and, and like oh what blue. trump wanted no it's got no. like navy blue and red and jackie 
Oh, hers has got the... The light blue. Is it yeah, it's got blue? the light bluish teal and then the silver underbelly. I'm not telling you that that's why I like it, but... um. I know. It has also been around forever and like every Air Force One for like forever. But the whole thing is, is I don't know yet. The 7478 is, of course, going to be more advanced, but it's still going to be mostly analog when they finish it because it's so, what it is. So this is the library now. Oh, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's yeah, pretty yeah, and yeah. classy, mm-hmm. and this is what Trump wants. I mean, that's not horrible. It's kind of gross. I, I mean, I think it looks kind of bland. It's the gold that gets me. It kind of looks like a... It looks like he like branded from the it. the 80s. It looks like he branded it. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Look up Trump Airlines and then you'll understand what I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I like it less. I don't really like it to begin with, but... I don't know. There's a lot of options that have come about, though. There's a lot of other like options that are out there for them to paint it. And I don't know. They haven't they haven't really absolutely decided on one yet. They're also super far behind. The biggest problem is, is that after they've made one, theoretically, they still have to make at least two more. Yeah, we can't just have <laughs> one. Right. Really? Yeah, there's three in the fleet. So Air Force I One. Didn't is, know that. Air Force One isn't one airplane. It's three. Air Force One is whatever plane the president's on. Well, yes, of course. But the the seven four seven that we always see, there's actually three of them. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I mm-hmm. always just thought it I was thought it was one. just one plane. Yeah. There's three. How many Air Force Twos are there? I don't know. There's like there's an Air Force, the, Force Twos for vice president, right? Yeah, right. yeah. it's a seven five seven. Yeah, so typically they use the seven five seven for that. Although they're starting to phase it out and use the seven three seven seven hundred more. There's a few of the seven five sevens and a bunch of the seven thirty seven seven hundreds. The presidential air transport fleet consists of two specially configured Boeing 747-200s. Okay. I think they retired one a handful of years ago, but either that or it's just they've always had two. I don't know. But either way, there's more than one because you can't rely on just one. You just can't. Something goes wrong. You need to have a second one. Two galleys provide up to 100 meals at one sitting. There are six passenger lavatories, including a disabled access facility as provided, as well as a rest area and mini galley for the air crew. It is compartment outfitted with medical equipment and supplies for minor <laughs> medical injuries. Bless you. Thank you. God bless. Sorry, we got on a tangent. Yeah, yes. let's end the episode. Thanks for listening. There Hold on. <laughs> pause. Pause. Pausing. Pause. Pausing. If you have made it this far, you're a dedicated listener. Congratulations. Yes. Woohoo! Go you. Thanks. And yes, I guess my thank you present from me and everyone else here is we are doing a giveaway for our 200th episode. Woo! Woo-hoo! Insert Woo-hoo! confetti. Woo. Insert confetti. <laughs> That's what we were looking for. There we go. Yay! Yeah, okay. So anyway, 200th episode. Keep an eye on our socials. Pretty, pretty, please. I will do some beautiful posts, probably including a picture of all of us so that you can see all of our beautiful faces. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the post, comment some friends, Maybe reshare for some extra entries, bonus points, and drumroll, please. I actually think there's a button for that, too. There's not. Oh, you sure? There's yeah. more buttons than just these nine. I know. Don't we talk to me. Okay. We'll be giving away a mug of your choosing whoop, whoop. on top of an ornament of your choosing, seeing as Christmas is coming not super soon, but kind of soon, that will be signed by all of us here at Hard Landings Podcast, all five. Uh-huh. Yes. And then you will also get a custom duck signed by all five of us. How are we all going to fit a signature on one duck? You do initials. Or okay. we do a bigger duck. <laughs> we need Wait a, bigger, a second. We need, we need a, a bigger, bigger duck. Yeah. <laughs> Caitlin won't understand that reference because she hasn't seen Jaws. What is wrong with you? 
Sorry. Whoopsies. Yes. Sorry. But yes, so that is our giveaway item. You get a duck, an ornament, both custom signed by all five of us, and a beautiful mug of your choosing because there's a few patterns and I don't want to choose for you. You live your life how you want. So. <laughs> you live your life how you want. <laughs> cool. Yeah, just look out for that. Share, repost, like I said. And if you win, you'll be getting a message from me. So. Woo-hoo. Yay! You can't see. <laughs> and with that, I'd like to say that was our 200th episode. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Wow, guys. We are 200 episodes in. That is hard to believe. Damn. And yet I'm still holding a job, a nine to five job. Mine's more like a seven to four. Okay, well, anyways, I'm still holding a regular job that isn't this. Although I really like my job, so I probably would anyway. But it would be nice if this was sustainable. (laughs) Which means like, share, send this to everybody you know. Bring people in so we get more listeners. We need a much bigger audience. We're growing. I like our audience. We've got a great audience. We have some very, very dedicated listeners. But there are more of you to be had out there. Absolutely. And please know that you don't have to be a patron. No. Not even that, but just know what aviation is. I don't. And but you you're ha- learning some things. You're I having a blast. Learning, and I'm having a blast. And I think that a lot of people could too. So just a, another heads up, which you probably are a dedicated listener once again if you've gotten this far. But yes. share it with your friends who maybe don't know so much about aviation because it's so interesting. Right. And I'm here to ask questions for all of us now. Cool. Since Miranda knows too damn much. You know too much. She's educated. Get over it. I guess we'll have to kill you. You know too much. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode Usually that's how things go when you know too much, but you know. Yeah. She's going to wake up with a horse head, but instead it's going to be a duck head. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll be signed by four other people. (laughs) Okay, we got right off track here. Okay, yeah, this was a Sviwajaya flight something. 182. 182. Thank you so much for listening. Check out the Patreon. Check out the merch. Make sure you like do all the social stuff so you can get inputted into our giveaway. Yes, every time we'll I'll have a system, but my guess is anytime you like if you like and follow us and comment, you'll get one entry. If you reshare it, you'll get another one and I'll put all the names in a hat and we'll draw it. Yep. Or I make a randomizer in Excel because I'm a nerd. It works. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks okay. so much for listening. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Keep, Keep your, your speed up. up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.